This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode 25. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, bringing you episode number 25. And I am here today with somebody very special to me. She happens to be my mother. Her name is Patricia Guth. Now, Patricia, I'm going to call her Patricia, even though I call her mom normally, um, but just to make things less confusing for you all, because I know she's not your mother. I'm going to refer to her as Patricia throughout the interview. So let's begin the way we always do. Patricia, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? I am. Well, that is fantastic, Patricia. This is going to be weird for a little bit, but we'll we'll get over it. Um, Now, the downbeat segment is our first segment, and it's more of the biographical segment of the interview, as you know, because you've listened to every single one of my podcasts because you're a good mother. I am. (laughs) Tell us about the moment that you knew you were going to dedicate your life to music. Okay, and I'll try not to call you honey during the interview, but... um, Appreciate that. It's hard to... think of one particular moment, but I know that it was really early on. Um, I started taking organ lessons between second and third grade. So I was about seven years old. And um, I can remember pretty early wanting to be a music teacher. As a matter of fact, I had a fourth grade teacher who, when she was leaving at the Christmas holidays, she was actually going off on maternity leave. So she wrote a poem to every student in the class, and she read the poem. She read the poems to the class, and we all had to try to figure out who it was before she got to the last line. And I still have that poem. It's in a scrapbook I have from my elementary school years, and it says, and I just I'll preface it with the fact that I was a goody two shoes in school. It said, "You are the answer to every teacher's dream, a wonderful and perfect lady. You will always be." A wonderful music teacher you will be. I know she wasn't very good at rhyming. I know by now it must mean Patty. I must mean Patty B. Now Patty B was my. There were two Patties in the in the class, and Patty B was my uh, nickname because that was my last initial. So that was fourth grade. So I was eight years old. And she she pegged you as a music she teacher. She pegged me as a music teacher. Now I don't remember whether I had said I want to be a music teacher. But I was sort of known in the school for being the musician. I played the organ. I used to play at all the assemblies back in the 60s when schools had assemblies and we would all gather together and sing. I would accompany on the organ. So um, pretty early on, it was evident that I had some talent in that area and maybe that's the way I was going to go. I never knew that. I had no yeah. idea. I yep. had never heard that story. Yep, and I kept that poem. That poem was really special to me. I think I might have misquoted it a little bit, but it was uh, it was very special to me. Fourth grade? Fourth grade. That made you like 10. No, I started first grade when I was five. five six, seven. So I was eight. Wow. They had you pegged as a music teacher by eight. By eight. Wow, the things you learned from your mom. No, I don't think so much the choral field. I don't think that came until much later, because I actually wasn't a very good singer, and I didn't make the choir in elementary school until um, I think I got to sixth grade. My teacher put me in the auxiliary choir, and I still give her a hard time about that because I'm still in touch with her. But, what is uh, the auxiliary choir? It, were the, it was the people that didn't quite make the regular choir. Oh, auxiliary? <laughs> wow, aux- that wasn't... I feel like, I feel like in this day and age... <laughs> You couldn't use the term auxiliary choir. I feel like there's some some part of the PC police would jump would jump down your throat. She was a brand new teacher, and I think she was just trying to be nice to the kids who weren't quite up to par for the regular choir. Wow! But eventually, I made it. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, okay. That now, where did the conducting thing come from? You think? In high school, I was the band manager the marching band manager 
And I didn't sing in high school. Actually, I played the clarinet and I played the cello. And I was elected marching band manager. And as I also didn't know that. <laughs> it's amazing what you'll learn today. Have I ever spoken to today. my mother? Like, what is going on? Okay. Um, part of my duties as marching band manager was at the Christmas concert, I got to conduct the brass ensemble that played out in the hallway before the concerts while everyone was arriving. And... During, the auxiliary brass the auxiliary, ensemble. Correct. <laughs> and um, later on in the year, we had this event called Contest, which was sort of an athletic thing. And the marching band played at Contest. And I got to conduct that entire, through that entire event. And I discovered that I loved conducting. There was just something about raising that baton and having people start to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got to Westminster, of course, that sort of, became choral music instead of instrumental music. I didn't play clarinet or cello anymore when I got to college. So, but I just always loved the conducting thing from really early on. What drew you to Westminster? The organ department drew me to Westminster. When I got to Westminster, there were 29 pipe organs on campus. They weren't all in wonderful working condition, but plenty of them were. And it was really the foremost school for organists at the time. And every organ teacher that I ever had talked about Westminster and noted that as the best place for me to go and study. Oh, there you go. Very good. Well, tell us a story of when things just didn't go as planned. And potentially looking back, you may look at it as as a failure moment uh, in your musical career. I think my first teaching job I hate to say this because it was two years long, but I view my first teaching job as a failure. And I, sometimes I'm surprised that, I'm, that I stuck with music after that job. I taught at a very prestigious private school in Philadelphia. I took the job probably just a few weeks after I graduated from Westminster. And I remember at the interview... You know, I, I, I was excited about teaching at a private school. I thought it would be a really neat opportunity. I liked the idea of commuting into Center City, Philadelphia, because I had grown up near Center City and really enjoyed being downtown. But I remember asking the headmistress during the interview, what series book do you use at this school? Now, at Westminster, we had wonderful music ed classes where we learned about Silver Burdett and all the other great music series there were. Teacher-proof music books. That's right, teacher-proof music books. And she said to me, the headmaster said to me, we don't use series books. We actually expect... Now, they teach you at Westminster to use series books? Yes. That is like the furthest thing. If you talk to any Westminster music ed student... That is the farthest thing from what that doesn't what happen allow anymore. You to do. Oh my oh. gosh, no! Oh gosh, that's interesting because we—I remember going through uh, several of the series books, and Oof. we learned to do things from the series books. Well, so that's the way I was taught, and the headmistress said we don't have series books. What we expect you to do this summer is to write a new music curriculum for the kids. Now, this school went from nursery four-year-olds to eighth grade. Oh. So that summer, my assignment was to write a curriculum for the entire school. I was also getting married that summer, so uh, I had a limited amount of time. But being a new teacher and a recent graduate, I was gung-ho, and I wrote all these cool things. Like in fifth grade, we were going to write our own opera, and in second grade, we were going to make musical instruments and all sorts of wonderful things. None of them worked. Well, very few of them worked. I should say. And I never actually felt like I had control of the classrooms or control of of my programs when I was there. And I remember going to the headmistress and saying, well, could you just get me so-and-so rhythm instruments? Mm -hmm. Or could you just get me? And there was no support. And that lack of support really kind of soured me. I, I stayed there for two years. I went on to a much, much better job in a public school system in Bucks County and was much happier after that. And then leave to have, leave to give birth to you, Ryan. <laughs> and, Sorry. <laughs> that was all worth it. But that first... Thank you. I mean, I'm here. You can't say anything otherwise. Um, but that first job, I think, was just such a disappointment to me that... 
no one was willing to, no one had my back. I mm-hmm. felt like no one had my back. It, it was just so difficult. But I think what I learned from it, first of all, is, you know, the best laid plans don't always work. Right. And I think the other thing I well, learned. Well, at least you laid plans. Well, right. That's true. But I th- the other thing I think I learned was plan, 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 over plan. Right. Because I would get through what I thought was something wonderful that I had written into the curriculum and I'd have 20 minutes left. You know, and then we had to come up with some ridiculous activity to fill in the extra time. Um, I also learned that I needed to be a little bit more forceful. I mean, I was teaching in a classroom that was actually a social hall for the adjacent church, the church that was adjacent to the school. The kids sat on little pieces of carpet. I had no chairs. So my seventh and eighth grade choir would come in and sit on carpets and... We had, for the most part, photocopied music. So it was. It we, wasn't we won't a good, out the school right now. Yeah, I won't say where it was, I, and I'm hoping that doesn't happen anymore. But it was a difficult situation, and maybe one I should have thought about a little bit longer or researched a little bit better before I took it, because I think it could have potentially blown me out of music um, altogether. We're very glad that it didn't. I'm very glad that it didn't. Um, I, I appreciate your, your openness about, about that. Um, I know lots of members of Choir Nation probably struggle every day with lack of support. Uh, and um, I think the only, the only thing that gets them through it is focusing on the kids. I agree. And, yeah. and I think that's probably the only thing that got you through it is you knew that you had, that, that, that the kids would benefit from you uh being there uh regardless of the amount of support that you got from from the the headmistress whether you had instruments or not you know you always have paper towel rolls and tissue boxes (laughs) that's true no absolutely i love the kids i just didn't like the position and as you said i you know the, the lack of support was a real issue well, especially for a first year second year teacher yeah it was downright scary you know at times i didn't know I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know what to do to fill the time. I didn't know what to do to make up for the lack of, uh, you know, equipment that I had. And were you the only music teacher? I was the only music teacher. Right. So, like, here you are, 21 years old. Because you graduated a year earlier than most people. Right. 21 years old, um, brand new teacher, no support, only music teacher. That's the, you know, and the music teacher... I really think in an elementary school, it's probably the loneliest job in the school because there's only one of you normally. Correct. And um, I, mean, I was very fortunate to work in a big middle school with, with three other colleagues, full-time colleagues. So when I was 22 years old and jumping out uh, into, the, into the real world, I had a bunch of more experienced people that could show me the way uh, and tell me that I was being overambitious or or I needed to plan more or, or whatever. But, you know, you jumped out and you had to do it all on your own. That's true. That's uh, and that's, that's really horrifying, I think, for an organist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It is. And... I mean, it, I mean, well, you didn't spend most of your time in front of people. Correct. You I spent a lot of time, time in practice, in practice room. rooms. That's yeah. right. That's right. And though I had wonderful music ed teachers at Westminster, including yeah, a, minus a the wonderful lady. Books. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, there's a wonderful lady named Geraldine Ward who I thought was just terrific. And and uh, but but you're right. Yes, I learned about teaching from the book, pretty That's much. That's so funny. So when I went on to my next job, I did have a I did have a music series. So I guess Silver Beretta is not going to sponsor this podcast. But <laughs> Most likely not. Well, we will. Yeah, all right, that's fine. I can deal. Uh, all right. Well, so now let's let's flip to what was your proudest musical moment to date? I could come up with three that I'll go through quickly. Okay. Um, the first one was the very first time that my Bucks County Women's Chorus sang in public. Um, that was at a little concert where we were invited to just come and do 15 minutes worth of time. And we, the very first song, we, and this was in November, and we had just started in September. So we had to pick something easy and not 
Christmas related because we were working on holiday stuff. So I found an easy arrangement of America the Beautiful, and that was the very first piece we sung. And I remember turning around to the audience and saying, "This is the first piece. This is the first time we've ever sung in public," and the audience just erupted in cheers. And it was just just a really cool moment. And the nicest thing is, I turned around and looked at the women. And the smiles on their faces were just from ear to ear. You could tell how proud they were um, of themselves. I think another um, really, really proud moment was when we were on our Italy tour last spring. And we had had an extremely long day in Venice. It was 90 degrees. We... Walked. I was there. Choir you Nation. were there. Yes, it he was, was there. a long day in Venice. <laughs> and after we were done visiting various sites and having lunch and doing some things on our own, our tour guide said, "Okay, time to go to the concert." And I think we walked. I don't know. It seemed like three miles. Well, I mean, because it's upstairs yeah, and then downstairs. Up bridges, down bridges. Down yes, the bridge, yes. up the bridge. So, right? Bridges aren't ramps. Bridges no. are steps. It's, it's in tough Venice. in Venice. So we eventually got to the uh, concert venue, which was a lovely little palazzo that had been made into a cultural center. And it there was no air conditioning, and it was really, really hot. And um, we got into the room, and our wonderful pianist started, and the most beautiful sound came out of the women, despite the fact that it was probably still 90 degrees inside that room, and they were in their formal uniforms and... and Formal fashions, polyester. Yes, polyester, travel knit, (laughs) and uh, had been sightseeing all day. This was probably 7 o'clock at night, and it was a difficult day, but they just really rose to the occasion, and uh, our wonderful Italian audience was, was just so happy with the concert. And quickly, my third most proud moment was this past June when we sang for Helen Kemp. Oh, yeah. At her retirement home where she lived. And she was so happy to have us there. And I was so excited to be singing, to bring my group to sing for a lady who had been my mentor for a long time or just a a real role model Mm -hmm. to me. And the fact that my choir said I couldn't see her because my back was to her, that she was beaming and she was tapping and she was singing along. And the fact that she told me how much our visit meant to her and how much she loved what I was doing with the choir was made me so proud. Absolutely. Well, that's quite, that's a wonderful endorsement uh, Helen Kemp, that is, you know, and, and I know Choir Nation uh, misses her dearly. I know this is just a, a couple weeks after uh, she passed, and you were very fortunate to have got gotten in there, um, you know, back in June. Because we this were. is only August when, when she passed away. Um, and uh, But you know what? She was as chipper as can be, I'm sure. And when, we, when she was on this podcast, I mean, she was, she had just finished writing a a an anthem for the southwestern ago and i mean just what an incredible woman and that was a wonderful endorsement yeah we had a wonderful night together so i'm going to do a little bit of an introduction based on my knowledge of my mother when people talk to me about my childhood they ask me well like what you're christian right yeah i'm christian Okay, like, what kind? Are you Catholic? No, I'm not Catholic. Well, what are you? Well, my mom's a church organist and choir director, so every time she got a new job, I changed religions. You know, (laughs) so, you know, I've been just about everything, and I've seen mom go from church to church and create wonderful, very happy groups of of singers, amateur singers, uh, at all the places where, where she spent time. But most recently, in the last, I want to say, was it three years? Three years. This is coming up in your fourth season. This was our fourth season, yes. Uh, so three years ago, my mother decided to create the Bucks County Women's Chorus. And this is in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. This is, at this point, a 90-plus voice women's choir. She put out a press release, got close to 80 members at her first rehearsal. And... I've seen this group perform, and I've talked about this group um, when I present uh, at conferences. I I've spoke I speak about my mother's choir, 
And um, her forte, I believe, is creating a community of of amateur singers, specifically women in this in this case, um, that are so thrilled to be sharing their voice um, with audiences, with each other, um, fellowship, and uh, that when they sing, and this is a group between ages of 18 and 85, when they sing, you have, you're just beaming the entire time. Um, um, you know, the group is not trying to be the next Tenebrae or or conspirare or electro women's chorus they're they are a unique group and um they sing with such energy and passion that you just can't help but enjoy yourself the entire time um but i think that starts somewhere i think that starts in creating a culture in your ensemble so uh, i'm going to turn it over to my mother Patricia, to go in a little bit further. So what do you believe your forte is? Well, I believe my forte is, like you said, starting a community and getting it to stick. I think that's the answer. And I think it comes with first just having tons of enthusiasm as a director. That started with me. Um, as you said, we I put out a press release one uh, one day, it, I was just sitting in my chair, and it came to me, I would really like to start a women's course. There were so many courses in my community, but there was no women's course. So I was trying to find a niche to fill because I had always really wanted to conduct a community course. So having put that press release out, I received about 120 calls within that first week. And Yikes. these women were incredible. They Some had never sung. Some had sung in high school or college, but hadn't sung yet, and they were well into their 50s or 60s. Some of them were nervous. Some of them were excited. But every one of them had to be met with enthusiasm, I think. And I spent so much time on the phone that week getting to know those people, and I think that's where it starts. You know, I have to be... I want to have a wonderful singing group, but I also want it to be a wonderful group of friends, a wonderful community. And it had to start with me. It absolutely had to start with me. I've been to choirs that are just wonderful singing groups, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing behind it. They leave at the end of the rehearsal. The conductor comes in two minutes before the rehearsal starts and leaves when it ends. But that's not my philosophy. My philosophy is to be a part of the group. And I think that's perfectly fine with an adult group. That might Mm -hmm. be a problem if you're working with kids or teenagers or so and so forth. But my goal was to just kind of get right in there in -hmm. the trenches. And as such, we've created a group that are just amazingly cohesive. They're they all call, friends. They're all friends. They call themselves the Singing Sisters, oh. which I think is adorable. <laughs> um, but, you know, now they're just, besides being wonderful singers and they work really, really hard, they support each other in every aspect of life. We just had a member whose house burnt down. The choir responded with over $2,000 worth of gift cards wow. for this family. Wow. Uh, we, we lost a member, uh, after our second year, they responded with amazing showing of love to her family. You know, they sang at her, at her memorial service. They supported her children, uh, grown children, but, um, you know, we've had a birth in the, uh, in the choir. One of yeah. our younger members had a baby, you know, we had baby shower with and, 90 ants. Yeah. With yeah, she now has 90 aunts and grandmas mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it, it's amazing. It, it's been amazing to watch. I've seen the friendships form from day one. Some of these women that never knew each other before are now inseparable. Mm-hmm. They go on vacations together. They and it's incredible. And I think well, having have... I was gonna say, well, I was just gonna say, I think having that um sort of backstory 
really helps them to be a cohesive singing group as well. Right. It starts, it's, yeah, it's, it's so much more than a, than a performing ensemble. Um, and, uh, it's not snooty or pretentious in any way. Um, it's a welcoming community. Right. And I have to be the same way. I have to be vulnerable. I have to be, uh, transparent. Mm -hmm. You know, they know a lot about me. Uh, maybe it's a woman thing. Maybe maybe a, a male conductor wouldn't be as open with uh, a men's group. But, you know, they know about me. They know about my family. They know when I'm struggling with something. Um, uh, last year before we went to Italy, I was having terrible problems with panic attacks, and they were happening when I was conducting. And I told the choir, listen, you know, this is the problem. You know, if I make a funny face or something while I'm conducting, mm-hmm. or I start conducting fast, you know, you know, uh, you know what the story is. And nobody ran away and said, oh, I don't want to deal with this conductor. Right. You know, they all, you know, I had... 60 phone calls or emails the next day from people saying, you know, it'll be fine. You'll be all right. And we're here. And don't worry. None of us are going anywhere. You know, so it's just, it's just that kind of group. And it's been such a gift to me as I know it's been to those 90 women that are in the group. Well, and I, I feel like I heard a story recently, maybe not recently about a member who, who came to you and said, and said how important you can explain how important yeah, this group was to her. Yeah, I had a member who came to me, I guess, at the maybe at the end of the first year, and she had been through a lot. She had lost a, a husband. She had lost a son in a tragic accident. And she said to me, you know, this choir has saved my life. I didn't have any place to go. I had no one to turn to. I heard about this choir. I came in, I signed up, and now I have 90 sisters. And I know that I can turn to most of them if if I'm ever in that dark place yeah, ever again. And because of the choir, I don't expect to be in that dark place. Right. And she's the first one at rehearsals every Monday night. They look <laughs> Right. They all look forward to Monday. It's the highlight of their week. They do. And many of them have told me that. You know, we don't, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I've found that I take for granted that what I do every day is music. Um but not everybody has that privilege. And so that, you know, they may work a corporate job. They may be a stay at home mom. And obviously they're the highlight of their week is, is spent with their kids and, you know, too. But, but, um, for a lot of people, the highlight of their week is, is Monday night at Bucks County women's chorus. It is. And, and I'm, I'm touched by that. And I was going to say flattered, but I'm actually more touched by that. Um, when people tell me, especially, you know, I wasn't going to come tonight because it was such a long day and I was so tired. But now that I'm here, I just feel so much better. Which which so positively reinforces the, the attendance. I mean, just to break it down mm-hmm. into, I mean, honestly, just right, to break sure. it down yeah. into like, I mean, not to downplay Absolutely. the significance of that at all. But, you know, there's, but there's got to be something like, what can you say that you're doing so that when, when the the membership gets there that they have those feelings that I'm so glad I came tonight. Like what, what in your preparation do you feel like, uh, allows that to happen? I think the fact that they're greeted by me, that sounds, maybe sounds a little bit like I'm patting myself on the back, but no, not really. Uh, I think, um, Hey, listen, Walmart is a multi, multi-billion dollar corporation and they greet everybody they, who they walks do. in the door. There's, there might be something to that, not to, <laughs> not to, you know, compare Bucks County Women's Chorus to Walmart, but there is something about being acknowledged when you there walk is, in the door. There is, and I am front and center right near the door where they come in and check their name off on the roll sheets. And they know that I'm accessible if they have an issue with something um, or even if they just want to tell me something cool that happened to their middle school kid that day. Mm -hmm. You know, they know they can do it. And um, I'm just proud to have uh, put that sort of community forth to them and for them to be able to have those opportunities. I think, it's again, it's just the community thing, feeling part of a community. Now, I, I want to also point out to Choir Nation that the Bucks County Women's Chorus is a completely for-profit organization. 
And now you're going to hear me talk about for profit a lot because I'm a big money grubbing capitalist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, because because I really wholeheartedly believe that um, if you want something done your way, a for profit entity is a really great way to do it. That way you're not giving up your dream to a board of directors who may potentially fire you or, or crush your dreams. Um, Obviously, I'm a I'm a jaded choral, uh, church choral uh, director, um, and uh, I wholeheartedly believe that there is there is a place in the world for for profit choir. And um, you know, my mother's group is is thirty two dollars a month, right? Thirty two dollars a month to That's belong correct. to. Right. You can do the math um, yourself, at choir nation, and. Um, this group makes a, a, a significant amount of income. It also also has expenses just like like in overhead and rent and and personnel just like any other group. Um, but they are able to to perform for a fee. They're able to, um, you know, my mother has is able to um, create a, a nice income for herself and for the family uh, based on this pro- project. And and I really think there is nothing. There is nothing to be apologetic about because she's clearly providing something incredibly valuable to these women. Um, I, I've told her when she first came out that she wasn't charging enough for the choir. I think it should be $49 a month. Uh, you know, my, my choir and my, at my uh, organization is $89 a month. My for-profit organization is $89 a month. You know, so now I'm sure Bucks County Women's Chorus members are listening to this and saying, "No, please do not raise our tuition." <laughs> um, but if you can, if you can say that a a group like this is changing your life and making it better, um, then you can afford, you know, eight to ten less lattes a month to belong to it. And um, so I have a, I have no problem. Um, I have no problem supporting a for-profit organization um, when it clearly is doing something incredibly valuable for the people um, in in its membership. And if it's not doing something clearly valuable for the people in its membership, it should go out of business. And that's the beauty of of the of the free market economy: is if something stinks, it goes away. Um, and uh, if because people stop supporting it, so the level of accountability in the Bucks Game Women's Chorus is very high because it needs to continue to be something of value to its membership or else it could go away. Um, and obviously, it's valuable. So what are some other things that you believe uh, makes it, you know, makes it a valuable organization to these women? Like what about it makes it, makes it valuable? Um, what maybe something, what do you think about differently as a for-profit organization than you would if it was a church choir, uh, which is essentially part of a nonprofit. Well, for me personally, as the director, obviously I have the last say. I mean, I've been through the whole church music thing for the last 35 years. And anybody out there who's a church musician knows that church music can be really trying. It can be really trying. Um, with Don't the get me started. <laughs> Don't even get me started. With the women's chorus, because I am my own boss, first of all, I'm more motivated to make it work. Right. Absolutely more motivated. I'm more motivated to go out and find us wonderful concerts and spectacular music and to arrange amazing once-in-a-lifetime tours um, it's, I'm more motivated because I want to keep those members. I want to keep them happy. Um, I love them, so I absolutely want to keep them. And uh, so that means a true commitment on my part. And I think, you know, they would call me on it if I wasn't doing my best. So I, you know. As well they should. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm earning my money. You know, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't do a church job and not get paid. No, so as you said, I don't apologize for the fact that it is a for-profit business. 
because I'm getting paid now like I would get paid for any other business. I've done the nonprofit thing where I was getting $50 for a rehearsal Mm -hmm. and spending hours and hours a week preparing music. Was it worth my time? No, not really. Did I feel motivated? The the politics alone are... are... Of course. Of course. Yeah. I I didn't like having a board at all. You know, I could... um, they could they could tell me just about anything. They could tell me where to have my concerts. They mm-hmm. could tell me whether I can bring my choir on tour. They could tell you what kid gets the solo. Absolutely. So that's not the case here. And I've never had... I mean, I'm sure there are a couple of people that we haven't gotten or haven't stuck with the choir because of of the tuition, which really isn't very high. No, As you said, the cost cheap. of a muffin and a latte per week. Yeah. But no one has ever said, I don't want to do this because you're charging too much money. No, and you're no, you're not charging enough money. <laughs> but no one has ever, you know, no one has ever thought that it was too much. Yeah. They think it's worth every penny, which of is, course a, which it is. is which is a wonderful thing. You can't thing. even put a price I mean, you can't even put a price on on just the support system alone of a group like that. Just just you can't put a price on your friends. I mean, these are, these are, these, you know, they're getting way more value than $32 a month, you know, and, and the $32 a month is just literally to operate and pay for the things, the personnel and the things that, that need to be paid for. Um, and you spend a ton of time outside of your, of your regular, your regular rehearsals and performances, putting these things together. I mean, you've earned every single penny. Correct. It's not a two hour a week job. No. Which is the length of my rehearsal. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So kudos to you for for proving the concept. And I I really hope that Choir Nation can look out there and, and, and see that if you choose the correct niche uh, or niche, if you want to be that guy, um, then, then there is there is a, a a potential to have a profitable private organization, for profit organization that does awesome things for the community. Well, that's correct. I think you really have to look at your community mm-hmm. to decide what what that niche is. I looked at Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and realized that there were so many. SATB choirs that it would probably be really difficult. Oh, you could never for me do, to it. do that. No, no, you could never do it. So if, if a member of Choir Nation thinks that they're going to go up against, you know, their their local choral society that has that you know a, a well established 150 voice SATB choir and start charging tuition for a for profit, you're probably you're probably kidding yourself. But if you choose the right niche, I think the women's chorus thing is gold. Not from a money perspective, but from a value perspective, because there is something special about a group of women, the, the, the camaraderie of a group of women um, that I think is, is second to none. And um, I'd be hard pressed to say that, that you'd actually have the same success in a men's chorus. I don't think I would. Wouldn't be you. I mean, let's say, let's say dad mm-hmm. started a men's chorus. I don't necessarily think that he'd... I don't. You would not have the same success. No, it's a different dynamic, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I but I, I. I will tell you, all day long. I think the women's chorus is is uh, an excellent niche, and I think it would actually work in many, um, many communities. I think it would too. And in many instances, the only women's choirs out there are some sweet Adeline's groups. And if that's not the type of music that you enjoy, then you're often you're out of luck. Yeah. I mean, and Sweet Adelines is, is a great organization. I mean, they've standardized their practices uh, very, 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 very well. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, the Barbershop Harmony Association is a is an incredibly well structured uh, group. I mean, it's it's as close to a franchise organization Correct. as as you're going to get in music. I Correct. think. Um, I mean, just there's some incredible performances that I've seen by both Sweet Adelines and and um, and traditional barbershop groups out there on online on youtube and um 
you know, but it's a certain style. It it's is, a certain it style is. and there's, there's a certain tone. There's a certain method of practice. Right. Usually you know? it involves choreography often, which not everyone is looking to do. Uh, yeah. You've never seen my mom dance and you don't right, want to. Right. You wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, but, you know, uh, so you're offering, a, you know, a, a little more of a traditional choral. Correct. We do everything from some light classical stuff to pop and jazz and Broadway standards, Broadway. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, so it's definitely not a hoity-toity, not academic at all. Not group. Not at all. And and that's also something that. And it's not auditioned as well. It's not auditioned, and and I think if if it was only really high academic music, the engagement would not be there. Correct. I don't think I would have ninety women. But yeah, I mean, point. you have to win them. You have to win them first. You know, where right. meet them where they are first so that you, I mean, yeah, you can, so you can, I mean, you have slipped in some, some, a little more hardcore classical. I mean, you're doing, you're going to, where are we going? Hungary and Austria. Hungary and Austria. I guess I don't think I'm going, I said we, but I don't think I'll, I'll be there, but. Um, <laughs> you went um, to Italy. <laughs> Hungary and Austria. I mean, they're doing, they're doing Haydn's Lord Nelson mass with, with a, a men's choir uh, out there, I mean and that few, is, and a few mixed choirs too. Yeah. I mean that is nothing to sneeze at. Correct. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that they will really enjoy the experience of, of preparing half, essentially, <laughs> <laughs> of, of the Lord Nelson Mass. True. And uh, but it, at the same time, they're singing some some Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> and and Forty uh, Second Street. Correct. So, um, well, I, I really think that Choir Nation is has gotten a lot out of out of this and I, I hope it's really shed some light on um, the potential opportunities that are out there um, you know you're, you're listening to two people who do the for-profit thing in the music world um, every day of their life and uh, you know so if you're ever looking for support or guidance um, you can certainly reach out to either one of us uh, you know about um, how we could help you uh, and um, and guide you to, to create uh, a valuable organization in your town. Absolutely. Um, let us, for, for the sake of time, move into the Achelerando round. Uh, this is where we ask slightly more rapid-fire questions, and we look for some short answers, and with not much, uh, not much feedback or follow-up. So, um, Patricia... What project are you most excited about right now? Well, as you said, my choir, my women's choir is going to Austria and Hungary in May. And this is a little out of the box for them. As again, as you said, we're going to be preparing the Lord Nelson Mass to sing with other choirs. And it really is something different for this choir. So it's very exciting for all of us. That is not an easy piece of music either. No, and it will really be a first for some people who haven't ever done anything in the classical realm. But something about singing a masterwork is going to just blow their mind, I in think. In an amazing cathedral in Budapest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just <laughs> going to be amazing. What advice do you have for your younger self? Don't compare yourself to others. Amen. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I never considered myself to be the star at Westminster. I was kind of sort of in the middle. I was a decent musician. You know, I was a good organist. Um, but I always thought there was I think I spent 30 years thinking there was everybody was better than me and maybe I maybe I didn't earn you know the wonderful choir or whatever and it took me a long time to get over that and I know now that that's not the case are you saying you suffered from imposter syndrome I do I do I did I don't anymore good I and I think this choir helped me realize what I had to give and that it was valuable right you don't have a master's degree. You don't have a doctorate. I don't. You don't need one. I don't. You don't need one to create something of incredible value. Correct. That's right. To the choral world. That's so, right. In your opinion, what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor or educator? Outside of all the obvious things, like being a wonderful musician and, and continuing your study and being you know up on current trends and so forth, I think it's simply sincere interest in the people with whom you work walk us through your ideal morning routine 
Ah, yes, I'm not a morning person. So as soon as I was an empty nester a couple years ago, I decided that my preferred schedule is going to bed late and getting up late. So um, I roll out of bed probably about nine o'clock after maybe waking up and reading for a little a little while. Have my take my shower, have my breakfast. I usually do a little bit of writing. Um, I'm also a writer, and I have a couple of published children's books, and often I have some writing assignments to work on. So I do those first, and then I get on usually with the musical stuff that I have to do. What was your most favorite concert that you've attended? Okay, I thought of two. My favorite choral concert, I think, was Annalise by James Whitburn, um, performed by Williamson Voices at Avery Fisher Hall last year. It was an It's an amazing piece with interesting orchestration and I love um, James Jordan's choirs and the sound that he gets from them and it was a wonderful concert. The other one was an instrumental concert of a Vivaldi concert at the Chiesa di San Vidal in Venice and uh, the instrumentalists again were just superb and I think some of it had to do just with the fact that I was sitting in Venice at a concert. But it's, it was unforgettable. The acoustic in there was incredible. It was. And it the was. energy coming off the stage was incredible. Remember the name of that group? That was this. It was like I have their CD like sitting yeah, like literally on my desk somewhere. I don't remember their name offhand, but it, it was it was like yeah. the Venice String Quartet or yeah, something. They were it was amazing. something like that. They were amazing. And you know the fact that I had just walked across the canal and had dinner in a piazza and it was very romantic. It, that was good too. So it was. <laughs> But it was a great concert. What is your favorite personal growth or music book? I don't read a lot of nonfiction. I really am a, an avid fiction reader, and I tend to do that um, just because it, it sort of takes me away from the other stuff that I do. But I do remember a book that I read many years ago um, when my husband got us involved in a, a marketing business, and it was called do what you love and the money will follow. And I think it's a philosophy that I've always had because I tried for a while doing other things just to make money. I sold real estate for three or four years. I absolutely hated it. I did some other things. And I think the women's chorus taught me most of all that if I do do what I love, the money will follow because it's it's work that's coming from my heart. I'm committed to it. You know, a lot of people say, well, sometimes when you follow your bliss or whatever, you know, it becomes a chore. It's, it, then it's not fun. But that hasn't been the case for me. So do what you love and the money will follow. All right. We'll have to look that one up and we'll throw it up on the show notes. There will be a link there to Amazon where you can purchase that book. Also, just a very quick plug about Amazon. Amazon has a wonderful audio book service called audible which i am a premium subscriber to audible i listen in the car to audiobooks all the time um, and uh, we have recently launched a a sponsorship partnership program uh, with audible where you can receive one uh, free audiobook so you could listen to do what you love and the money will follow um, if you head on over to ryanguth.com and on the right hand bar there is an ad saying um, a free, uh, claim your free audiobook. So just click on that and uh, you will be able to download one free audiobook from Audible, uh, completely compliments of the Find Your Forte podcast. So I'd recommend that you go over there and, and check out a book of your choice. Uh, you, will not, uh, you will not be disappointed. Audible is a wonderful service uh, and plays through your iPhone, your Android, uh, computer and whatnot. So when you think uh, of success, who comes to mind? This is a weird answer, but Pope Francis. And this is just recently, I've really gotten into the things he says. And maybe success is a weird way to describe him. But I think anyone who can be so relatable to the people, whether they're Catholic, Protestant, or whatever, is a success. I kind of think of the Dalai Lama that way a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. All right, now here's the, uh, here's the biggie. If you only had one concert left in your lifetime, a choir with limitless ability, and access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing, where 
would your final concert be? And what would be the last piece on that program? So I haven't been around the world yet. And I'd love to say the Sydney Opera House or, or some other, you know, the Vienna Opera House or something like that. Um, but not having been at those venues, they're, they're kind of out of my realm right now. But it's funny that you should mention the place in Venice where we had that, where we heard that instrumental concert because that came to mind because the acoustics are so wonderful and the setting was so wonderful. So I think someplace like that, or maybe another historic church, a smaller venue, not necessarily a huge venue. And I was going to say something really Westminster and say that my last piece would be the Lutkin Benediction. but um, In C or C sharp. <laughs> whichever. But I thought back to our concerts last year when we did a lovely little two-part Hebrew piece at the end of every concert called Ashlo Shah. And the text at Ashlo Shah is, the world is sustained by three things, by truth, by justice, and by peace. And I think it was our best closer. It was just quiet and pensive. We sang the last note, the audience sat for a moment or two, and then they applauded, but it touched them. And I'd, li I'd love to do that at the end of a concert. That's a beautiful piece. It is. I have Alan Naplin. Yes, Alan, Alan Naplin. Alan <laughs> Maybe we can get him to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we get him to sponsor this podcast. I, uh, yeah, that is, and that is a piece that, that comes up um, with middle school directors all the time. I think that's a really wonderful piece to bring to to young voices as well. So um, I've done it two or three times. Um, in my lifetime, and I, I've always loved it. It has a gorgeous piano part. Oh, it's just so quiet and beautiful. It's it's, so, it's an ideal closer. Partner song. It's a good. It's a it good is. partner it's a, song. Yeah, it's not difficult, but it's it's moving. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's give the listeners of Choir Nation some parting words of encouragement, and then um, the best way they can reach you moving forward. I think as a musician, I want to tell you, as fellow musicians. Don't let anybody steal your dream. I know some incredible musicians that have left the field because they think they, you know, they can't make a living in the field. They've gone in other directions, but then they find something missing in their lives. Don't let somebody else steal that away from you. You know, take, take the time to figure out a way to live your life's passion. Well said. Well said. I completely agree. And how can we how can we find out what Patricia Guth is up to? Well, the Bucks County Women's Chorus has a Facebook page, so you can read about us and see what we're doing on that. You can email me at bcwomenschorus at yahoo.com. I also have a personal Facebook page, and I'm always eager to answer your messages. Fantastic. All right, well... Thank you very much. I know that Choir Nation is even more ready to step up to their podium with purpose after today's interview. So thank you so much, number one, for being my mom. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and <laughs> I hope it's not over yet. And thank you for being my guest today on Find Your Forte. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.